If you've noticed in your bulletins, you have a nice little bookmark. Uh, Brody worked on this uh, bookmark. He said that uh, he was actually cutting them out one by one uh, until the sun rose this morning. So when you see him after the service, uh, show your appreciation and, to, and just tell him thank you. Uh, this is really a, a collaboration of uh, the series that we have been moving through the past a couple of weeks. Today we're going to conclude that series by continuing to examine our focal passage, which is Jeremiah 29.11. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look again at verse 11. More than 60 scientists had been given millions of dollars of funding to find humanity, to help, excuse me, humanity find happiness. Think about that. More than 60 scientists, millions of dollars in one effort to try to help humanity find happiness. A popular, popular movement among psychologists called positive psychology is an attempt to elevate and to focus its research on people's strengths rather than only trying to deal with human weakness and problems. And although the U.S. standard of living has increased since World War II, there is no increase in the number of people who regard themselves as happy. A recent U.S. News and World Report article on the subject says this, once income provides basic needs, it does not correlate to happiness. Nor does intelligence, <coughs> prestige, or even sunny weather. People grow used to new climates, higher salaries, and better cars. Many years and millions of dollars studying and treating depression have succeeded in reducing most people's levels of sadness, but they are not necessarily happier. The report goes on to say researchers have actually found that spirituality, family, good relationships, and friendships are the keys to a happy life. goes on to say, so are things such as hope, meaning, purpose, and discovering and pursuing the right goals. Even helping others to be happy can actually jumpstart a process that can lead to stronger relationships renewed hope in a general upward spiraling of happiness. Hope, the report says, and spirituality work together to provide an important basis to a happy life. And here's what a secular magazine concluded. 
Hope fosters optimism, and faith is, by definition, hope for the future. Let me share with you that conclusion. Over 60 scientists, millions of dollars trying to determine what can make humanity happier. Faith is, by definition, hope for the future. Today we're going to conclude our examination of a prophecy given to the nation of Israel by God using his messenger, Jeremiah. And so we will look again at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where we find these words, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Now, we've already examined the background of this passage of Scripture, and, and we've seen the fact that God gave this promise, this promise through a, a, a prophecy to the nation of Israel prior to their exile in Babylon. He knew the difficulties that they would face in their 70-year captivity, and he gave them this promise. This promise of hope. This promise of his plan. We looked, if you have your uh, bookmark, you can almost uh, watch how we moved through this passage of Scripture. And we looked at the, the all-inclusive plans. The, the reality that, that God knew the degree of their lives. He knew his plan for them. And for us, it's all-inclusive. The, the words that were used were eternal, known, and settled. When God made His plans for them, when He made His plans for you and I, He made them because He knew what was best. They're settled not because He's stubborn and He will not change His ways. They are settled because... They are the best for you and for me. We also examined the, the nature of God's plan and saw that it was good. His plan is for our well-being, not for evil. And we, we understood the, the difference between hardship in order to tear us down and hardship in order to build us up. And all hardship that God allows in our lives are intended to build us not there up. They're not intended for evil. And so today, I want us to focus on the last part of Jeremiah 29, 11 and see what I believe is God's ultimate desire for His people. Because God's plan is not only all-inclusive, it's not only good, but it's also optimistic. It isn't optimistic because God practices the, the power of positive thinking or he subscribes to an idealistic view of the future. 
God is optimistic about your future and my future because he knows the future. That's why he's optimistic. He doesn't ask us to believe in him because he has a feeling or a hunch about the future. No, it's because he knows the future. So I want us to examine this phrase to give you a future and a hope. And we're going to examine this by answering the question, what does God ultimately want for his people? What is his ultimate desire for his church? What is his ultimate desire for his people that he sacrificed his one and only son to save? What is the ultimate desire that he has for you and for me? The first part of that answer is that we have hope in this life. That we have hope in this life. I want us to first focus on the meaning of hope. Hope is a, is a term that uh, is passed around a lot, you know. Uh, last night in the waning moments of the Georgia game, I was like, I sure hope we win this game. You know. Last night before going to bed, my wife says, I sure hope Tanner doesn't get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. You know. Some of you that got caught in the concert traffic says, I sure hope they don't bring a concert back to this place. <laughs> There's a lot of things that, that, that we use this term hope for. The, the Old Testament and the New Testament is full. It's chock full of this concept of hope. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul lists hope as one of the greatest virtues in the Christian life when he writes, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And it goes on to say, but the greatest is love. But still, hope is right there in three of the greatest virtues of the Christian life. The Holman Bible Dictionary defines hope as trustful expectation, particularly in reference to the fulfillment of God's promises. Goes on to say that biblical hope is the anticipation of a favorable outcome under God's guidance. Under God's guidance. More specifically, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past and our participation in what God will do in the future. Hope. This contrasts, I think, with the world's definition of hope as a, a feeling of what is wanting to happen. You know, understood this way, hope can denote either a baseless optimism or a vague yearning after an unattainable good. If hope is to be genuine hope, it must be founded on something 
or someone which affords reasonable grounds for confidence in its fulfillment. You see, the Bible, when it uses the concept of hope, it bases its hope in God and His saving acts. That's the difference. It's the difference between hope in the world and hope, hoping in God. That we're basing that hope on the reality that God is real, that God has acted, and He will continue to act in history. Now, we can really confirm this definition over and over again with examining verses such as Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, 27. God wanted to make known to those among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in you and Christ in me is the hope of glory. 1 Timothy 4.10 In fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of everyone, especially all those who believe. Titus 2. 11 and 13. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. Verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering. For He who promised is faithful. In 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope. Through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Y'all, we could go on and on and on. And we haven't even touched the Old Testament. What we need to see is that God's plan for us is not a plan full of despair, but a plan full of hope. You know, despair is the opposite of hope. Living a life of despair means that you have no hope. You have no hope in this life. You have no hope, period. And so, because of Jesus Christ, because we have this hope in Him, we can take advantage. We can take advantage of the hope that He desires for us to have in this life. All of us are aware that we aren't intended or meant to live on this earth forever. 
that we are simply passing through. But in order to fulfill God's purpose and His plan for us, we've also got to cling to the hope that is available in this life. Someone once said, man can live without, excuse me, can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, and about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. We have to cling to the hope. The hope that is available through the love of God and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He wants us to have hope in this life. But that's not all. He also wants us to have hope beyond this life. Hope beyond this life. You see, if our hope is only in this life, then it would be incomplete. If our hope is only a hope that we can have while we live on the face of this earth, then that hope is not complete. It is partial. And can I tell you, a partial hope is no hope at all. It is no hope at all. I want you to change gears with me and turn over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. If you can, leave your finger there at Jeremiah, we're going to go back. But I want you to look at this passage of Scripture. In Romans chapter 5, we're going to look at the first five verses there of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proving character produces what? Hope. And then verse 5, this hope, the hope that comes through Jesus Christ, the hope that comes through placing our full faith and trust in Him, will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Paul writes this passage. This passage to the church at Rome. He's communicating this to the believers. To the people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he, has, and he says, when we hope in God, we will never be disappointed. When we hope in God, we will never be disappointed. I don't know about you, but I've been disappointed in my life. I've been disappointed by situations and circumstances. I've been disappointed by people. And you know what? I, I look out in the world, and, and when I look out in the world and I get to know people, I, I realize that there are a lot 
of disappointed people in this world. And mainly it's because they've placed their hope in something or someone. And what they do is because they place their hope in something or someone, then they get disappointed. And then they become bitter. And then they become angry. And then they end up trying to spend the rest of their lives making everybody else just as bitter and angry as they are. That's what disappointment does. Now don't get me wrong. There are some good people and some good things in this world that, that can give us temporary hope. Some may even be able to, to live a good and meaningful life as a result of drawing hope from a particular philosophy or a, a belief system. But where the rubber meets the road is how does what you're putting your hope in pan out when it comes to eternity? When it comes to eternity. Because here's the reality. We're created in the image of God. Therefore, our souls will live for eternity. We don't just die and go away. We live through our spirits, through our souls, for eternity. And Scripture tells us that we will either spend eternity in heaven as a benefactor of the hope that we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, or in hell as punishment because we rejected the hope that we could have had in Jesus Christ. Hope beyond this life is only possible, as Paul rightly communicated to the Romans, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. How can we believe that God's plan for us is an optimistic plan because He wants us to have hope in this life. But not just hope in this life, He wants us to have hope beyond this life. And lastly, lastly, He wants us to have a future with Him. A future with Him. You know, most of us would, would never doubt, would never struggle, with, we, we would never ask why with a single part of God's plan for our life if we could just comprehend that all of it, that we could comprehend all of it from an eternal perspective. You see, what we go through in this life, we have a difficulty seeing it from an eternal perspective. We have a difficulty seeing it from God's perspective. And so we view it from our perspective. And we get locked in to viewing our life and the things that we go through 
only from a temporal, earthly, material perspective. But if we could see it from eternity, I think we would see something completely different. One commentator wrote this, In eternity, everything will come into focus. We will see it all. Think what will happen to our perspective during the first five minutes in heaven. I want you to think about it just for a second. Think about the first five minutes in heaven and how our perspectives will change greatly. I remember the day that I placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I remember realizing that I was a sinner and that I was headed for heaven. And I remember just God scraping the scales away from my eyes and allowing me to see the truth of, of, of what sin is and what heaven and hell are. And I remember placing my faith in Jesus Christ. And I remember that it, it wasn't very long after I made that decision to accept Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, that I recall even as a 16-year-old that I, I wasn't preoccupied with all these questions, with all these concerns about my future. Because I knew that I had placed my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ, I knew that I could trust Him instead of worrying. Now, some of us think that worrying actually helps. I, I did. Before I came to Christ, I thought, you know, this is the way God works. If we worry about something, then God's going to make it change. That, that's the way you, you, you uh, maneuver. That's, the, that's how you cause God to act, is you just worry about it. God's word says something completely different, doesn't it? It says worrying is a sin. That we're to cast our cares upon him. That we're to lay it all at his feet. And see, what we have to realize is from eternity's perspective, God is in control. He is the one who is in control. This commentator went on to write, imagine what will happen to our perspectives on that first day and the first 10,000 years if we could just see God's plan for shalom. Remember, we discussed shalom for peace in history and beyond. We would find ourselves like Peter, even rejoicing in the trials of this life. I don't know if you can, but I want to encourage you today to just try to imagine what eternity will bring for us. The perspective. I don't know if you can see beyond the struggles and the trials of this life to see what God has for us in the future. But that's what he wants us to do. As we not only wrap up the message from today, but as we wrap up the a series of, of messages on God's plan for you. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to understand that because God has a plan 
excuse me, because God had a plan for the nation of Israel, He has a plan for the church. And because God has a plan for the church, He has a plan for you, and He has a plan for me. And over these past weeks, we've examined that plan. We've seen the extent of God's plan. It is comprehensive. It is all-inclusive. It is so far-reaching that we can't even imagine. We don't even have words to express the extent of God's plan for us. We've also seen the nature. The, the nature of God's plan. What is it all about? It's good. It's good for you. It's good for the future. It's good for the present. It's good. And then today, the ultimate desire of God's plan is optimistic. It's optimistic. Now, we would not do this passage justice if we didn't try to determine whether or not there might be a condition or conditions that, that we must meet in order to experience all that God has planned for us? And I think the answer to that question is found in verses 12 and 13. So turn back with me. Then we're going to close. Turn back with me to Jeremiah 29. I want us to read verse 11 and 12 and 13. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In verse 12, you will call to me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your On this little bookmark, the green side, we have God's plan for us. And what we've done is we've examined this plan that God has for us, and we have seen that it is an awesome plan. And that ultimately God has a good future for us. And optimistic. But what we also need to understand is that if we don't seek His plan with all of our hearts, then all we're left with is our plan. And our plan is aimless. It has no foundation. No purpose. No direction. And it's also end result is death, destruction, and evil. We can't help it. We have what's called a sin nature. Original sin has corrupted us. And even though we come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit lives within us, we still live with the flesh. 
And so, if we don't seek Him, if we don't desire His plan, earnestly, almost with an obsession, then we will naturally fall into our plan. Which is not good. Which is not optimistic. Which is evil. So I ask you today, and I encourage you today, if you want to live out God's plan for your life, then it's going to take you and I and us seeking Him with all of our heart. Will you? Will you seek Him with all your heart and obey Him? when He leads you and guides you and directs you in His plan. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful and thankful to You for, for having such an extraordinary plan for Your people. Knowing, Lord, that, that you're, you're just so good. You just desire the best for Your people. You desire that we would come to know You, that we would submit ourselves to Your will and to Your plan because it's good. And I pray today, God, that, that You would just do Your work in our hearts and our lives. Father, if we know You, then Your Holy Spirit is within us. And if Your Holy Spirit is within us, then it can convict and console and encourage and direct where you desire for us to be moved. And so we ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts, to work in our lives. For the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, Jesus, Gina. <laughs> Everybody call Jesus, have you? <laughs>